0: are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Heavenly Father, God, we declare your greatness, we declare your glory. We come to you in the name of your Son and by your spirit God. God, we just marvel at the reality of the gospel that we who were dead in our sin, you have resurrected us, you have raised us. We who were rebels and enemies of God, you have made sons and daughters. And so we're here as brothers and sisters, as part of your family, delighting in all of your goodness and rejoicing in your love towards us. And God, I pray that you'd be with us now. I pray that you would help us, God, as we seek to worship you as we seek to hear from your word. Would you give us wisdom, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Please be seated. Well, that was awesome. Just turn to the person beside you I, I, and just say, aren't you glad we came to church today? And... Uh, <laughs> We, we don't ever want to take for granted how, how great it is to be part of the family of God and what a privilege it is to, to be a part of this family of God and what God is doing here. And it's such a great joy uh, to come together. Have you been following the, uh, the story in the news about what's happening at Humber College? The headlines came out on Thursday morning and it started by saying that dozens of students had sort of been overcome by this mystery illness by later that day, Thursday, they were saying over 70. On Saturday, the headline was saying 200 uh, students have been, have been suffering from this illness. They don't know what's causing it. They don't know how to deal with it. It's, it's causing stomach pain and nausea and vomiting and the school's working really hard together with public health to, to try to manage the symptoms, but then also working with doctors to try to find, well, what is the cause and, and what, is the, what is the cure? You know, there's, a, there's another mystery illness that doesn't just affect several hundred students at a specific college campus, it affects actually all 7 billion people who live on planet Earth. The symptoms are, are quite clear, although they're, 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 they're quite varied in the way that they manifest themselves. Symptoms, uh, symptoms like, like misery, symptoms like broken relationships, depression, despair, violence, greed, slavery... And regret. Now, for some, the illness isn't really a mystery at all. In fact, if you're wise, you, you know what the illness is. Yet for billions of people on planet earth, they just go through life infected with this illness, not even knowing it sometimes, but suffering these awful uh, symptoms. And ultimately, the illness is fatal. The, the illness is the love of money. Uh, It touches, it affects just about every human being on earth. And if you're wise, then you know from God's word that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It manifests itself in a number of different ways, but it is deadly And so we're going to turn today to the book of Proverbs and we're going to ask the Lord to give us wisdom. To give us wisdom in our finances so that we don't fall victim to this illness, to this sickness of loving money. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, the ushers are going to come up and down the aisle right now and just put your hand up or holler at them. Trust me today, you're going to need a Bible to be able to follow along so we're going to be turning to a number of different passages in the book of Proverbs. Uh, the first one I want you to turn to is Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 8. And um, in, in my Bible, every time I come across a... a a passage about money, I put a little dollar sign in the margin. I just want to encourage you to to have some sort of way of marking up your Bible so that you can remember where to turn, so that if you need help or someone you love needs help, you're able to uh, reference that. Here's what we're going to see from the book of Proverbs today, that the answer to your money problem is not more money. It's more wisdom. If I were to to, to go around and to ask today people who have different money problems and and your solution that you're aiming for, chances are you probably think, well, if I only had more money, that would solve my money problem. But listen, that's not the way it works. It's not more money that we need, it's more wisdom to manage the money that God has given us. We, We defined wisdom last week as a skill of determining the best possible method to accomplish the best. Possible outcome. It's how to handle your money in the right way for the right reasons. That's what we're going after today. Not just more money, but more wisdom. Take a look at Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9. It says, Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the only prayer in the whole book of Proverbs. And it's it's a prayer about lying and cheating, and then it's a prayer about finances. And really what this prayer is, and this isn't from Solomon, this is from uh, Agar, who's introduced in chapter 30, verse 1. It's a prayer to say, Lord, give me wisdom. Notice the humility here. He's... He doesn't know how much money he should have. It isn't a request. I just need a 10% raise, God. I I, I just need a a, a few thousand more dollars uh, each year. I just need a few hundred dollars at the end of each month. That's not what he says. He says, God, don't make me too rich. God, don't make me too poor. Give me the food that I need. Does that sound familiar? It sounds like Jesus teaching us to pray, saying, give us today Our daily bread. You see, wisdom and humility are so connected. If you're coming to your finances thinking that you have it all figured out and you have some idea, listen, what you need is the Lord to give you wisdom. You see, the Lord knows your heart. And he knows how much money your heart can handle. He knows how little money your heart can handle. And sometimes we're so worried about the heart next door... Mr. and Mrs. Jones and what's happening with them and can I keep up with them? And this is not a sermon about Mr. and Mrs. Jones. This is not a sermon about your other family members. This is not a sermon about your friends. This is a sermon about you and your heart and coming before the Lord and honestly and humbly asking, Lord, give me wisdom. Now, Proverbs are these short memorable, universal statements. That's what gives them their power. But because they're so short, and because they're so universal in general, if that power gets in the wrong hands, it can actually do a lot more harm than good. You see, Proverbs are not promises. And oftentimes, Proverbs describe the way things normally are or the way things should be, but that's not always the case. In fact, the the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job are are also considered wisdom literature. They kind of balance out the, the Proverbs because Proverbs is very cause and effect. You do this, you get that, where Ecclesiastes and, and, and Job sort of look at things from the other direction, when things seem broken, when God's world doesn't seem to be working the way that we expected. And so we need to be very careful when we interpret proverbs, especially when it comes to money, because so often random proverb passages are just picked out of nowhere, and then people preach some sort of prosperity gospel, or other people could preach some sort of poverty gospel and make overgeneralizations here. You see, the, the prayer here that Agur gives is asking that, that God would not have him be too full and say, who is the Lord? Now, it's a generalization. Does that mean that everyone who's wealthy, does that mean that everyone who's well-fed becomes an atheist and denies the Lord? That's not true. That's a generalization. That's an over-application of what this passage is saying. Similarly, it says, oh, I don't want to become too poor lest I steal. Does that mean that everyone who's a, of a certain economic status that they're more likely to steal? I know a lot of wealthy people that steal. So we've got to be careful that we don't overgeneralize or overextend what these Proverbs are trying uh, to say. You see, wisdom is not just knowing a bunch of Proverbs. Wisdom is knowing how to apply the wisdom of the Proverbs into our lives. Proverbs 22.2 says, The rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Wealthy people and people struggling with their finances, they have a lot more in common than, uh, than we would like to think. And what Egger's prayer here reminds us of is that whether you're coming at it from I'm wealthy or whether you're coming at it from I feel like I'm poor, there's a unique set of temptations. And no one is exempt from this illness of the love of money regardless of how much money you have or how much You lack because the answer to your money problem is not more money. The answer to your money problem is not less money. The answer to your money problem is more wisdom. So we're going to follow three uh, threads, three, three themes today from the book of Proverbs. We're going to be turning to a lot of different passages. So get those fingers ready and stretched. Here's the first point that I want us to make note of. That if you think money is everything, you'll end up with nothing. The book of Proverbs proclaims this truth again and again. That if you think money is everything, you will end up with nothing. Turn with me quickly in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8 and find verse 10. Solomon says here, Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. Sorry, I skipped down to verse 18 there. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. You see, God's word tells us that wisdom is more valuable than money. It's not that wealth and wisdom are incompatible. It's that wealth and wisdom are incomparable. That it's so much better to spend yourself, to invest your energy, to seek after wisdom than wealth. But they aren't incompatible. Look at verse 18. This is wisdom personifies personified, saying, riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. You see, one is essential and the other is not. Wisdom is absolutely ins- essential. Uh, turn uh, in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 16. Once you understand the value of wisdom, it, it gets all the rest of the priorities in your life uh, in the right Order. Proverbs chapter fifteen and verse sixteen says, "Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great tr- than great treasure and trouble with it. Not only is wisdom more valuable than than money, love is also more valuable than." Money. Look at, the, look at the next verse, verse 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. There's something you can feast on that's greater than food. You see, money can buy a house, but money can't build a home. Money can take a table and, and provide food to go on it, but it can't produce love to go around it. And we need to have our priorities in check. Wisdom tells us to value love more than money. I love how Derek Kidner, in a, really in summarizing this proverb, came up with a proverb of his own. He said, wisdom will make you richer than money ever will. We need to understand the value of wisdom. If you think your life is all about money, you're gonna find out, you're gonna find out that you have nothing. We live in a world that has made a massive miscalculation. With regards to how much money is actually worth, and how much love, and how much faith, and how much wisdom is actually worth. They're, they're not incompatible, they're just incomparable. But look, look back at, at verse 16, it says, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great trouble come from. We'll look down with me at verse 27 of chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 27 said, Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. It's greed that brings trouble. It's seeking after money and desiring that money, loving money, doing anything you can to get that money. That is what brings trouble to our household. And listen to me, loved ones. Some of you are here right now and you're sitting beside a spouse or you're sitting with children and they want so badly for you to hear this message right now. Because bad choices and running after, trying to get rich quick, and, and trying to have things now and pay for it later has brought stress, has brought angst, has brought fear into your household. It's brought trouble on your Household, And it's time to ask God for wisdom to replace that trouble with peace. The number one cause of divorce in Canada is finances. That's how families fall apart. One member of the marriage or both members of the marriage are greedy for gain. And it troubles the household. And so jot down secondly that if you acquire wealth without wisdom it will be more of a curse than a blessing. If you go after money, whether you get it or not, that money or that pursuit of money will not turn out to be a blessing. It will, in fact, be a curse. If you get money but don't have the wisdom to handle it, it will not prove to be a blessing. It will prove to be a curse. Turn with me to chapter 13 and verse 11. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 11. It says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. See, that's the problem right there. We want wealth and we want it fast, but wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Easy come, easy go. Get rich quick, get in the ditch quicker. Going after easy money will make your life very hard. There is no easy money. easy money is harder than normal money and so don't go after easy money this is God's design his plan is that wealth is is to grow notice at the end of verse 11 little by little will increase it that's the idea and what's the number one way that we go after easy money what's the number one way where we try to get our hands on money it's available to us all the time it's debt if you were to Turn on to Queen Street and head over to the 410. I, I promise you, you pass half a dozen to a dozen payday loan places that would be very glad to lend you any amount right now. It's debt. Debt is easy money, but debt makes your life hard. Turn with me now to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7. The way the book of Proverbs is, is organized is, is, is sort of more like a shotgun. Approach. That's why we're having to turn to all of these different places because you have these different collections of collections of of Proverbs. And so to glean the truth of God's word about wisdom, we're going to have to turn to a lot of different places. But Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. If you are in debt right now, you are a slave. You have forfeited your freedom, and your lender is your slave master. you think, oh, you don't know my lender, man. He's a great guy. He's so, he's so patient with me. I mean, sometimes I can't make all the payments. He says, don't worry about it. Hey, just pay a little bit, and, and, and we'll put it off to the next month. And we just read in Proverbs 13, 11, that wealth is gained little by little. When you go to payday loans, and when you only pay the minimum payment on your credit card, you are letting someone else apply Proverbs 13:11 to you. They're not getting all their money back all at once, but they're living out Proverbs 13:11. They are getting it little by little, by little. Let's say you're, you're you're short money one month. You need two hundred dollars. so You decide to bo- borrow two hundred bucks off your friend, and your friend says, "You know what? Let's just do, let's just do twenty percent interest on a monthly basis. And so, and 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 just a, you just gotta pay me pay me what you can. So just just pay me twenty bucks this month. You know what a nice guy. You to see how nice he is." So you, you pay 20 dollars, and you think by the time February comes, you're going to owe him 180, right? Because 180 is equals let's look at the 180 is 20 taken away from 200. But there's interest involved. So really what you're doing is, is 180 plus plus 20 percent equals 216. So now you thought you only owed 180, but because you, you took out this loan, this, this really nice guy. Now rather than owing $200 or $180, now you owe $216. So this is how it keeps going. Look at March. Then you owe $232. So your minimum payment goes up a, a little bit. Then you fast forward to July. Now, now you owe $314. But he, he's a really nice guy. He's, he only, I only need to pay him $30. Then you fast forward to the, to the very end of the year. You now owe $460 to the guy because you've been paying 20% monthly interest. And, and, And your monthly payments is 46. So here's a summary. You initially owed 200. You gave the guy $376. You still owe 460 bucks. The borrower is the slave of the lender. Now, this is an extreme example. I mean, credit cards, the the interest rate is 20%, but it's annualized, so you take the 20% each month and and divide it by 12. But even if you had $200 on a credit card and only paid your minimum payment, you would, throughout the course of the year, you would pay $200, but you would also still owe $170. You've paid $200, but it's almost like you've only made One and a half months payment to actually take away your debt. Listen, debt is slavery. Now, there's all kinds of debt. Listen, I'm not a financial expert by any means, but if that situation or credit cards, if that describes what you're experiencing on a month-to-month basis, that needs to change. You are enslaved to that, and it's only going to get worse. And that's why, loved ones, you need to take a look at the back of your sermon handout right now. Find the date for financial stewardship 1 there. It starts next week. And then look at that info desk sign right back there. And, and you tell the person beside you, I am going to that. I'm going to be a slave no more to this stuff. And let's get serious about our finances. We, we can't serve two masters. We only have one master. And, and we, we can't be enslaved to debt in this way anymore. And that, that's, the, that's the clearest case of easy money making our life hard. Here's the other one. Look at Proverbs 21, verse 6. Proverbs 21, verse 6. Here's another way where we try to get easy money. By being deceptive. By lying. Proverbs 21, 6. The getting of treasures is a lying tongue. Sorry, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. How do we get riches by a lying tongue? We get riches by a lying tongue by lying on our tax forms, by lying on our on our timesheets at work. All of these different ways of how we can get treasure by deception, by lying. And look at the imagery here. It is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. It's an interesting combination of of metaphors. It's a fleeting vapor. So it's something that you're trying to get, but it just disappears. You're trying to hold it, but you can't hold it, and yet it's a snare of death. It ends up holding you. Do you see that? It's a fleeting vapor, but a snare of death. The thing that you want, you can't get, and then you end up getting something far worse. People who compromise on their morality in order to get more money. It's tragic. There's a lot of confusion about money as an idol. How do you know when money is an idol in your life, when you're truly worshipping idol? Here's the telltale sign: if you're willing to sin in order to get money, money is your God. Just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean that money is an idol. I know, I know some really wealthy people, and 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 they're as free with it, as open-handed with it as you could imagine. It's not an idol for them. But listen, the minute that you're willing to lie or to cheat or to steal, big or small, in order to get more money, that's a sign that money is an idol in your life. So we need to be careful about money. Because the sinful tendencies that that rise up in our flesh can, can really distort are the way that we think about money and really steer us in a wrong direction. We really need to be spirit-led. We really need to be nourished by the wisdom of the Word of God when it comes to money because there's something inside of us that wants to misuse us. But here's how money gets even more complicated. It's not just the sinful tendencies in ourselves that are affected by our money. It's the sinful tendencies among other people as well. And this is something that we don't often think about. But look, look with me at Proverbs 13, verse 8. This is, this is how when, when we get our hands on money, it does something to us. And we need to be aware of that. But it also does something to the people around us as well. Proverbs 13:8. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. What's that saying? Basically what it's saying is, Poor guys don't get mugged very often. You're walking down the street in a pair of flip-flops and ripped jeans and and an old tattered T-shirt. Chances are you're not going to get jumped. But if you pull up in a sweet car, wearing fancy kicks and nice clothes, you better watch yourself. Because the ransom of a man's life is his wealth. The bigger house you have, the more likely you are to get robbed. You you need a security system to protect that. You don't need a a security system for a woodshed. The more you have, the more trouble that comes your way. To quote the the famous 20th century prophet notorious B.I.G. More money, more problems. It's it's not just, there's problems. This is something we also don't think about. Proverbs 19. Problems with other people as well. Check out this one. This is something we also don't think about. Proverbs 19 verse 4. Turn there in your Bibles. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 4. Money doesn't just affect us. It affects those around us. Wealth brings many new friends. But a poor man is deserted by his friend. Wealth brings many more friends. Why? Because you're such a nice person? You see, when wealth comes your way, there's this, it comes with this sense of worry and anxiety and insecurity. Worry in personal relationships. Do they really actually like me? Or are they just hanging out with me because they want something from me? And it says the, the, the poor person is even deserted by his friend. Listen, if you're flat broke and people still want to hang out with you, you know you got something good going on. You know who true friends are if they stick with you. And listen, if, if you have a lot of money, you're always kind of wondering. Are people they actually, Do they actually love me? Would they actually be there for me if I didn't have all of this stuff? That's why we need to think rightly about our finances. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. If you don't think about wealth with wisdom, it will turn out to be a curse and not a blessing. But God intends to bless us, and it comes with no sorrow. Not that worry, not that anxiety, not that not that insecurity. And this is one of the signs that you've been blessed by God. A Proverbs 11, verse 24. How do you know that you've been blessed by God? How do you know that the... The wealth that God has provided for you is, is actually helping you and not harming you. Proverbs 11 24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, only to suffer want. Now, some of the Proverbs, you know, you, you hear even non Christian people uh, quote them because it's just practical, everyday wisdom. It just makes sense. It's how the world works. This proverb makes no sense unless you believe in God. That one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers wants. You see, what's being communicated here is that tight-fisted hands end up holding nothing, but open hands get refilled and refilled by the Lord. Now again, this is a proverb, not A promise. And so we we need to, to understand that there is a principle that's being communicated here. But not a promise that this definitely will happen in your life by Tuesday if you start doing this on Monday. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. The New Testament equivalent to this is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 6 to 9, you can write down that reference and talk about it with your small groups this week. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 9. Fundamentally, you got to understand that the way that you think about money is a reflection of what you think about God. If you think God is generous and will provide for you, then you have no problem being generous and providing for other people. If you think God doesn't exist then you're just on your own, and they're on their own too. If you think God exists, but he's stingy, he's not generous, he's tight-fisted, then you are going to live a life that is stingy and not generous and tight-fisted. You see, ultimately, this money problem that we're talking about, it's not really a financial problem, it's a theological problem. We are God's image bearers. He's generous, so we need to be generous. He loves a cheerful giver, because he is A cheerful giver. To acquire wealth without wisdom will be more of a curse than a blessing. And what is wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord. Our financial problems are really theological problems. We have to change the way that we think about God. And that will change the way we think about our money. Here's the third thing we need to understand. That if you refuse to worship God with your wealth, your wealth will become your God. We're getting into theology again here. If you refuse to worship God with your wealth, your wealth will become your God. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. I want to invite you to turn there. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 talk about how do we make sure that we're not worshiping our money. And the way to do that is to stop worshiping money and worship God with your money. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Of firstfruits here, this is referring to the the." The practice of tithing, taking all that you have, taking 10% off of that, the, the, the first portion, the best portion, and giving that to the Lord. God gets what's best, God gets what's first, because God is best, and because God is first. It's first fruits. The giving of the 10% was a symbol, an act, recognition of the whole. I'm giving this to God as a symbolic act, recognizing that it all belongs to him. And this is something that was in the law of Moses in the Old Testament, but it goes even further back to to Abraham. This is an an eternal principle that the people of God have applied for centuries. Now, it's a principle principle. It's not, it's not a promise, it, it's not a command for us anymore as New Testament Christians. But it's a principle that we should pay close attention to. For people at Harvest, this is how, this is how we word our expectations for people who call Harvest their home. Is to give financially to the church joyfully, generously, proportionally, and regularly For the furthering of the gospel. Giving is part of our worship here at our church. Because when we give, we're saying, I know that money isn't everything. And I know that if I keep this all to myself, this is going to become more of a curse than a blessing. And so in the wisdom of God, in the fear of God, I'm going to give back to him. Now, again, this is a proverb. This isn't a promise, especially when you look at verse 10. This is something that's been grossly misapplied and misinterpreted. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your, bats will be, your vats will be bursting with wine. Again, that's a, that's a principle that we can be generous because God is a generous God. That doesn't mean that if you do it on Monday, it'll happen on Tuesday. And so it's very important that we worship with our wealth rather than worshiping wealth. Here's another uh, insightful proverb. Turn to chapter 23 and verse 4. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 4. We have this proverb and then two more after that. So we're, we're coming to a close here. Proverbs 23 verses 4 and 5. It says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Don't confuse that word toil with hard work. Other translations use, uh, don't wear yourself out. Don't ruin your family or your reputation or your health to get money. It says, be discerning enough to desist. Have the wisdom to take a step back and to stop spending everything that you have just so that you can spend more money. Then it says, when your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. I just love that. I love that image. You're chasing after money. You're going to get it. And then it sprouts wings. And it flies away to heaven. And there's nothing you can do about it. And so we need to be super careful about not putting all of our trust in something that's just going to fly away. We've got to be so careful that money. Listen. Listen. Money will fly away. And listen, if you're not careful, your life will fly away. And rather than investing in your faith, rather than investing in your family, rather than living with true wisdom, you would have ended up wasting your time, wasting your life. Take a look at Proverbs 11, verse 4. Proverbs 11 verse 4, talking about how futile it is to gather all of this wealth, even though it will just fly away. Proverbs eleven four says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. There is a, there is a day that is coming where uh, me... And you, all of us, are going to have to stand before God and to give an account for how we lived our life. And at that point, how much money we had or how big our house was or what kind of car we drove will be more than irrelevant. All that will matter in that day is righteousness. And make sure that you are ready for that day of wrath. And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and you've been trying to make sense of what the Bible teaches about, about money, and some of it makes sense that God's stuff's a little weird to you, but you, you just need to understand that all of us have sinned with our money, and all of us have sinned in a lot of other ways as well. And our thoughts and our actions and our attitudes and our words. And we're gonna give an account about all of that throughout this series in the book of Proverbs. But you need to understand that you're gonna have to give an account. For how you, not just how you handled your money, but how you handled your entire life, and it's better to spend your time getting ready for that day than it is trying to chase after money. Then turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. So, how do we make sure that we're ready for that day of wrath? How do we make sure that we that we aren't just trusting in money or trusting in uh, something else? Proverbs. Uh, chapter 18, verse 10. Sounds more like it comes from the Psalms, but it's from Proverbs. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. There's this tower that, that delivers. And people who are righteous, people who know the right thing to do, they run to this tower and they find protection. They find shelter. But then look at verse 11. A rich man's wealth is, a, is his strong city. And like a high wall in his imagination. The real danger with trusting in money is not that it fails to protect us, but that it gives us the illusion that it will. You know, when you're a little kid, you had an imaginary friend. Like, that was okay, right? It was kind of cool. It's okay for like a four or five year old to have an imaginary friend. Is it okay for like someone in their mid-30s to have an imaginary friend? What about an imaginary castle? And yet our wealth can become a high wall in our imagination. Thinking that well, because, because I have all this money, because I'm, I'm financially secure, then, then I must be spiritually secure as well. I don't need to bother with those things. Listen, the day of wrath is coming and riches will not profit. The answer to your money problems is not more money, it's more wisdom. And wisdom knows that there's a deeper problem than, than just money problems. All the problems that come from this illness of the love of money, the, the, uh, the root cause, the ultimate source of, of, of everything that goes along with greed and with lust and with theft and with pride, all of that goes far deeper than just money. You see... There's a sin problem that needs to be dealt with. And Jesus came to be that strong tower to protect us from the punishment that all of us deserve for our sin. And he came to be that strong tower, but he was a strong tower that allowed himself to be torn down. And then he was rebuilt three days later so that we can flee to him. Because when he died on the cross, he hung and bled for all of our sins. All of our sins related to money and everything above and beyond that. And he died and took the penalty that all of us deserve. And so Jesus could walk and talk to legalistic Pharisees who even tithed dill. They were counting pickles in the jar. And he, he was able to say them to say to them, You need to come and find shelter in the strong tower. He was able to come to, to, to poor people, who beggars on the street who had nothing. And to say to them, You need to come and find shelter. You're not you're not off the hook for your sin just because you've had hardship in your life. You need to come and find shelter in the strong tower. Jesus was able to look. Tax collectors in the eye who had lied and defrauded and cheated, even committed treason in order to worship their God of wealth. And to say, you haven't gone too far from me. You can come to this tower. We're all invited. And we all need to repent. Maybe you're here today and and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Today is the day. And maybe God has used this topic of money to show something that's that's going on deep inside of your heart. And you need to understand that Jesus can set you free. And Jesus has made it possible for you to be forgiven so that you can have that righteousness, his righteousness, that will deliver in the time of wrath. And maybe you're here today and you are a Christian. You've been following him for many years. Maybe God is calling you to repent of just tirelessly pursuing after things, finding your identity, worshiping at the idol of your finances rather than worshiping God. And so we're going to come before the Lord. We're going to run to that strong tower, leave behind these high walls of our imagination and and commit ourselves to the Lord now. So let's bow our heads and pray. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray for the people who are in this room right now who don't know you. And God, I pray that they would freely admit that they are sinners and that they would believe that you have come to save them by dying on the cross. And I pray that they would commit to following you today, Lord God. And God, I pray for those of us who, like in the parable of the sower, the the riches and the cares, the weeds, Lord, of of wealth and prosperity have grown up around us and are choking us. And God, we want to repent right now. We want to repent of, of going too deep into debt, Lord, making foolish arrangements and agreements with lenders or with banks, God. We want to repent of trying to use money as a status symbol to carve out, to carve out our identity rather than finding our identity in you. God, we want to repent of neglecting that which is truly valuable, true wisdom, a, a relationship with you, true contentment for our families and, and our friends and all that you have provided. God, I pray that you would help us to walk in obedience. I pray that, like agar, Lord, that we would that we would just ask, that we would take our finances and that we would stop holding on to them. And that we would put them into your hands. And God, that we would stop being so tight-fisted and that we would open our hands and become generous so that you could fill our hands again, Lord God. And I pray that we would stop holding on to money, Lord, that we would let go of all we have so that we can hold on to you and so that you can hold on to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.